Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. We have a number of holidays, of course, in our nation, in our culture, uh, some religious, some secular or national. Probably the most important national uh, holiday is the 4th of July, beginning of our country when our founding fathers declared independence in uh, July 4th. 1776, it wasn't about eight years later after the war, they became independent, but they declared their independence, and we celebrated. In fact, when it happened, John Adams wrote to his wife Abigail and said, this is a glorious day, there'll be fireworks shot off every 4th of July here on after. And he was right. We do celebrate 4th of July. This is a, and in the old days, we'd have parades through Main Street and so forth, July 4th, an important national holiday declaring our independence, our freedom from tyranny. Well, probably the most important holiday for Christians is Easter, not Christmas. Christmas is important, and Jesus took on flesh as the baby in the manger, but Easter is when the baby in the, cro- baby in the manger became the man on the cross who died for our sin. We've just sang about this last few moments, and he was buried, and he was resurrected by the power of the Spirit and, and showed himself over a period of 40 days, for he ascended back to the Father. That's the most important celebration of, and we sang a few minutes ago, of deliverance, of redemption, of salvation. And probably John 3.16 is the most important verse to the Christian. It speaks about God sending his Son and dying for us. Now for the Jews, the cross isn't important to them, obviously, but the Passover is the most important event to the Jew from this time in Exodus 12 until present day. And I say the Passover, kind of like Jesus would say the cross, we really mean the cross, the death, the resurrection, the appearance, the ascension, kind of all one thing, kind of like a Jesus event. When I say Passover, I'm meaning here through chapter 19 of Exodus, we have the, the Passover. They actually leave Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. They come to Mount Sinai and receive the Ten Commandments. All that kind of is, is one big event. That is the most important event to Jews then and to Jews today. Deliverance from tyranny. Deliverance from the foreign power of the Egyptians who would enslave them. Deliverance. This is a most important event in their history. In fact, we'll see later on, coming to chapter 19 of Exodus, they become a nation. They go into Egypt as a family, as I mentioned last week, about 70 people, and about 40 years later, they come out a nation. Hundreds of thousands, if not maybe 2 million people, we're not sure exactly how many, but they come out a nation. Now, to fully understand our Christian experience through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we need to understand better the great Passover Exodus event in the Old Testament. In fact, God is really setting us up for the cross to looking at the Passover and through this Exodus event. So today we're going to investigate that first Passover some 3,500 years ago and make some applications for us today. So let's let's begin by looking at the cosmic drama very quickly where we are. We've looked at the creation. Things were great. 
things were just, just, just perfect for us in Genesis 1 and 2. And then the fall, we sinned, and the, the flood, the Tower of Babel, shows the, uh, the sinfulness of mankind. That was Act 2 of this drama. Act 3 starts with Abraham, we looked at. Abraham through the end of the Old Testament and Malachi. And that's such a big section, big act, broken it down into five scenes. The first scene's a patriarch, Genesis 12 through 50, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the Joseph story we've looked at. And today we're starting in scene two, theocracy. Now that's a fancy-dancy word, isn't it? Theo is, uh, or theos in Greek means God. And ocracy means, I think that's Latin, maybe Greek, uh, meanings ruling. This where God is the ruler. God is the king. God is the ruler, theocracy. Uh, we don't see it quite in Exodus 1, but we get to, well, here we see it in Exodus 12, especially Exodus 19, when the children of Israel become God's people at Mount Sinai. Really, it doesn't really say it directly, but God becomes their king. God is their leader. The patriarchs are not leading anymore. God is leading them directly through Moses and through others. So this is Exodus uh, through 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we'll get down the road. So that's where we are in uh, the cosmic drama. Uh, let me see if I can... Oh, I did that. That's good. I learned something new last week on the screen. So we're back to the, just the title, and, and, and that's fine for right now. So let me get some background. Uh, let's, let's look at very quickly, get a running start from Exodus chapter 1 through chapter 12. We're not going to really uh, camp anywhere, just kind of get you the, the, the background here. Of course, in chapter 1 is the birth of Moses. You're familiar with that. A baby in the, in the little ark in the bulrushes. And Pharaoh's daughter sees this Hebrew baby and falls in love with him. And she adopts him and he uh, is raised He's a Hebrew, but he's raised in Pharaoh's court for 40 years. He becomes a, a prince of Egypt. You heard that before? I think Disney made a movie on that. Prince of Egypt. And he was a prince of Egypt. Uh, he was not in line to be Pharaoh, but he had all the luxuries and all the training of, of the Egyptians, uh, the, the, the great time there. Well, come to chapter 2, uh, he's a grown man. He's approximately 40 years of age, and uh, he uh, kills... Uh, an Egyptian, and then they, he finds out, they find out about him, and he runs for his life. He's a fugitive from Pharaoh, and leaves and goes to Midian. And then that's, we'll, I'll talk about Midian a bit later. Uh, but goes to Midian, and there he's in the middle of nowhere, and finds this man, and marries one of his daughters, and becomes uh, a shepherd of his flocks for 40 years. He's serving his, his father-in-law. He, he raises a family there. He has at least two sons. And while he's there in the wilderness there in Midian, uh, he sees this, this bush on fire up on the hill, up on the mountain, which is not unusual in itself. What was unusual was that the fire was not consuming the bush. Got his attention. So he goes to the bush, and God speaks to him and says, I'm sending you back to Egypt to deliver the people. And, of course, you know, I'm not can't tell the story. Moses five times says, send somebody else. And if you read that text carefully, God gets exasperated and almost exasperated. You don't want to get God exasperated. And that takes a lot to get God exasperated. But finally, Moses gives in and he goes back with his brother Aaron. And then we have these 10 plagues in chapter 7 and following. Uh, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Again, I can't get the details of all that. You know the story. 
you don't, just watch the movie Ten Commandments, you know, and, and Charlton Heston, you know. Um, but so these, these different plagues come, and uh, we get to the last plague here in chapter 12, this Passover, which is really the killing of the firstborn. And I'll see more detail in chapter 12 in just a minute. And then as they, as they leave in the Exodus here, and they go in chapter 14 through the Red Sea, come to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea parts, and they go on dry ground through the Red Sea. There's this, this great crowd of, of uh, Israelites. Now, um, let me, let me take, stop for a second and go here for a second. This is not an advertisement, but maybe it is. Uh, I had originally scheduled to have nothing done next Sunday night. It's Labor Day weekend. And many times people are gone, just kind of relaxed. So I wasn't going to do anything Sunday night. But I've got a video that talks about the Exodus and where the Exodus was and what happened to the Exodus and some other things dealing with this time period. So as a freebie, if you want to come next Sunday night, not tonight, but next Sunday night at 6 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall, we'll see the movie. It's about an hour long. It's a video. It's called The Exodus Revealed. Um, it really, it, all kinds of things happening in Egypt, but the main part of half the movie is where did this uh, Red Sea part? Where was that? That's interesting. So come for that. That fits in very well with the, the, the sermon today. So that's next Sunday night uh, at 6 o'clock. So uh, that's, that's the Red Sea. We're not talking about the Red Sea today. We're talking about really the Exodus or the, uh, the Passover Exodus before we get to the Red Sea. So next Sunday night we'll deal with that. So in chapter 7 again, we've got these 10 plagues. As Moses says, let my people go. Now you probably know this already, but each of those 10 plagues is really a contest against some Egyptian god. When, when Moses turned the Nile into blood, the Nile was a god, and he overcame that. And, and the gnats and the frogs and all these things, each of these things, the, these nine plagues up to the last one, was an, uh, a battle, was a confrontation, was a showing God superior to some Egyptian god. And that was kind of beating down Pharaoh and beating down uh, Pharaoh's uh, understanding and their understanding that Pharaoh was a god. This last plague is the death of the firstborn. Now, Pharaoh was deemed a god in Egyptian, one of many gods. He was, he was a god. And when his son becomes uh, on the throne after this Pharaoh, the next Pharaoh, he would become a god. So here God is challenging that as well. He's not killing Pharaoh but he's killing Pharaoh's first son, who is the future king or future Pharaoh. Let's look in chapter 20. Let's look very quickly at these instructions that he gives to Moses uh, in beginning at verse 1, 1 through 20. We'll just kind of read to get some context, then we're going to do some camping in the text in just a moment. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months, it should be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And, the household is, and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. 
Then they shall take some of the blood and put it in the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses which they, which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, and leavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it, eat it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when, you, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you, and I will strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from that first day until the seventh day, that person should be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and the seventh day a holy assembly. No work should be done on those days, but whatever anyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, and on this day, very day I brought, you, brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Okay, that's kind of the, the background, the, the instructions God gives to Moses and gives the children of Israel. Prepare yourself for this day. This day uh, is, is coming. So let's look at 21 to 27. I just read, we read together a moment ago. And let's kind of see what Moses gives these instructions to the elders in verse 21 and tells them what to do. Uh, again, in verse 22, take a bunch of hyssop. Hyssop is, I don't know exactly what hyssop is. It's kind of like a, a bramble bush or something. And it's, they would use sometimes to sweep out the their houses with. It was kind of a, a branches that do that. So it takes that, and the blood that's been cut, the, the neck of the goat or the sheep, and poured into the bowl. They take that blood with a hyssop branch, and they would do it on the doorpost of, of their door and the lintel up here that supports the door, and put that blood on there. And when the death angel destroyer, ESV says, comes, he'll see the blood on the door, and he will pass over your house and won't bring death to it. That's where the word pass over comes from. So he's telling them to do this in verse 23, put blood on the lintel, and the two, two doorposts, and the Lord will pass over and the destroyer will not come uh, and, and kill you. Now, I may be getting ahead of myself here a little bit, uh, but if, if, if I'm at my doorway here into my house and I've, I've put blood here and put blood here and put blood here, I'm sure I'm pretty messy. That blood's going to drip down. What does that make? Well, it makes a mess. It makes a cross. A little foreshadowing there, I think, of, of the true Passover. Picturing Jesus later on. It is a mess, and the cross was a mess. Uh, it was what I was thinking, but it applies very well. Uh, it, is, it is a mess. Uh, 
So can you imagine with me someone saying, oh, that's a mess. I'm not going to do that. I messed my house up. What's going to happen? You're not trusting what God says. And that angel will come. Now, it doesn't say here in the text that any of the Israelites didn't do that. I don't know. Maybe they all did that uh, because they were told to, but they had faith. And did some Egyptians do this? I don't know. I just that, that, something for us to think about. Well, verse 29, let's look at that through uh, 32, this, this last plague. 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? The firstborn calf or whatever the cow was killed. That, that's, that's wild. And Pharaoh rose up in the night. He and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Oh my gosh. The firstborn of every household died. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, I'm the firstborn of, of two children. Would I have died as an adult? Or was it just my son? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I would have died, and my son, my firstborn son, would have died. I don't know, but there was death in every household. There was death. In every household, this, this God of the Hebrews, God of the Israelites, this, this God who is called Yahweh, uh, he has brought death to every household in Egypt. Verse 31, then he summoned Moses, Pharaoh, and Aaron by night and said, go up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. You've been badgering me and badgering me and badgering me. Go, like you said. Verse 32, take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Wow, that's a big change. I'm not sure what his attitude is here, but he, he understands. Pharaoh understands power. Those in power understand power. He understands he's before a greater power than he is. And at this point in history, Pharaoh is the greatest, most powerful man in the known world. This is, this is the number one kingdom of the world is Egypt, and he was the ruler. So he understood power. Verse 33. This is the Exodus proper. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. Get out of here. So the people took their dough before his leaven, their kneeling bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry for, and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. That's an important point for later on. And the people of Israel sojourned from Ramsey to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened bread, unleavened cakes, that is, of the dough they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. This is the, the Exodus proper here. This is the most significant event of Jews throughout history. In fact, Jews, we see in Scripture, and even Jews today and for the last thousands of years, when the during the time of Jesus, especially when the temple was up, there were three great feasts or festivals they had in Jerusalem at the temple. 
that if you were a male within walking distance, you were required to go to. Uh, if, if, you went far, if you lived far away, you weren't required, but every person wanted to come at least once in their lifetime. One of those great festivals and feasts is the Passover. And if you remember, when Jesus came in on a triumphal entry, that Sunday before he died on Friday, this was the, the week of unleavened bread. This was the festival of unleavened bread looking toward that Passover when he died on the cross. They didn't know about, they didn't know about that yet. This was one of the three great festivals, and Jerusalem had swollen with people. Probably at least three times the population, people were coming in for this festival. And you can see why the Romans are a little edgy, and they have extra guards on. Because, A, it, it, the population of Jerusalem has tripled with pilgrims coming in. But what is the Passover about? The Passover is about deliverance from a foreign power. And they're celebrating this. And Rome understands this. If they get too heady, they might start talking about being thrusting off the Roman power. So Pontius Pilate and the Romans, they're kind of concerned about Passover. That kind of fervor might spill over. So you can see some of the, the tension that's going on there. But every year the Jews remember formerly this event, and they do today, Messianic Jews. Jews, just by tradition, they have a Passover celebration every year and have been for thousands of years. This, is, this whole Passover with the Exodus, with the Red Sea, and come to Mount Sinai, this is when this children of Israel become the nation of Israel. So we go from, we go from um, Abraham, a man, to an individual to a family, the family of, of Israel, family of Jacob, now to a nation. We've grown over these hundreds of years. And this is how the Jews became God's people. Now, when, when Jesus was, the last thing he did with the disciples was what we call the Last Supper. That was a Passover meal. There are four cups that are drunk of wine that are drunk during the Passover meal. Two before the meal, there's a meal, and two other cups after the meal. The third cup is what Jesus, we see in the gospel accounts, when Jesus holds up that cup and says, this is, represents my blood, a new covenant. The name of that cup is called the cup of redemption. That's interesting. Jesus takes a cup of redemption and says, this is my blood shed for you for, for the new covenant. So Jesus has taken a Passover celebration and applying it to himself. More about that later, not today, but about, more about later. So that's kind, of, that's kind of the thrust of the text here, especially chapter 12 uh, with the Passover. So let's look at some applications about this for us. What does this say? What are some truths in our text today? What does it say about God? What does chapter 12 say about God? First of all, it says that he is powerful. Uh, you know, we've been mentioned that already. He is more powerful than any Egyptian God. Now, uh, discussing this with Karen a little bit it's, <laughs> this week, as you read the text of these 10 plagues, it sounds like it happened and then it happened and happened. Look, it happened in a couple of weeks. It's kind of one that, 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 well, there's probably, we don't know for sure, there's probably at least a month between each plague. This is probably a year or 18-month process from the first plague to the 
the last plague. It didn't happen in a fortnight. It didn't happen in a two weeks. It probably happened in six months or 12 months or 14 months. For it to happen and Moses to go back to Pharaoh and so forth. But all during this time, especially Pharaoh's court, they're getting a lesson from God that God is more powerful than any Egyptian god, as I mentioned earlier. And to the place he kills the firstborn of every, of every household. So God, this God, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Israelites, is more powerful than any other God. Well, friends, he's more powerful than any God we have today. The God of power today, God of sexuality, God of influence, God of status, any kind of God we may try to bow down to, God is more powerful than any of those. Second, you see that he speaks. He speaks to Moses and to Aaron, to Moses. And as you notice here in chapter 12, he gives some specific instructions. Now, a few months ago, we went through experiencing God. I got interrupted with the virus and kind of concluded. But I think that the Blackabees are quick to tell us, if anything is in Scripture about God, is that he speaks to his people. Now, how does he speak to his people? Well, we talked about how he speaks to his people, but God speaks. One of my favorite authors from years ago, Francis Schaeffer, he has a book out, He is There and He is Not Silent. It's a classic book by his. And he's saying, there is a God of the universe, and he's not silent. He has spoken. And I would say with the Blackabees, he continues to speak today. But notice how, I don't know how God spoke to Moses. If it's face-to-face, if he spoke to his heart, but it looks like it's really specific. Do this, get the slammer goat, cut the throat, put the blood on the lintel and the doorpost, you know, stand up eating. I mean, it's pretty specific, isn't it? So God does speak, and he speaks today. And maybe not so specifically because we got God's word today. And I think he's speaking specifically right now through me as a preacher at this time. But he speaks to us through different ways, through our own personal uh, reading of scripture and, and personal worship, through other means. He is speaking to us. What was the four things we were learning and experiencing God? He speaks to us through his word and speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us through the church and through circumstances. At least he speaks to us through those ways. He continues to speak to us today. Then third, he redeems, he delivers. We see him delivering his people, redeeming his people. We sang some of the songs today about redemption, and he continues to redeem. And of course, this is a, a foreshadowing of the cross that comes, the, the ultimate redemption for sin. This was temporary, and this kind of points to the true Passover lamb being sacrificed for us. And fourth, God fulfills his promises. Now, just listen to this. This is given to Moses in in Genesis 15. His covenant with Abraham we looked at some time ago, a few weeks ago. Uh, Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14. The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I'll bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Wow. That's about 430 years before it happened. God told Abraham, this is what's going to happen. So I see from this, not only God fulfills his promise, but he knows the future. I mean, the whole enslavement and the whole uh, plagues and the whole exodus and Red Sea did not catch God by surprise. Oh, what should I do now? 
I think I'll do this. No, this has been, been, on the, been the plan all along uh, from the very beginning. But God fulfills his promises. So again, what does this, say, this chapter say about God's story, the cosmic drama? Again, we mentioned Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And through Joseph, he brought the family down to Egypt, about 70 people. And they're there in Egypt, in the land of Goshen, for 400 years. I'm sure things are fine for a while, but then I, th- I think it says that uh, they, uh, there's new Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And they started enslaving them or uh, bound labor to them to the place they were indeed slaves. So why did this happen? Why, in part, part of God's story, this cosmic drama, why is this God's plan? Well, he's trying to form, looking back at it now, a special people. Now, I'll say more about that next week. But God's trying to form a special people, and the special people will produce the Messiah. Messiah, deliverer for the Jews, for God's people, but also a a Messiah, a deliverer for the whole world. This is part of of God's plan. This is is an important event in the cosmic drama. If God hadn't acted here, if there's no exodus, no Passover, no exodus, there's no people of God, there's no Messiah, and there's no salvation. So this has to happen in God's plan for us to have salvation. This is how important this is. This is a top ten passage uh, of, of Scripture. So what does this chapter say about us, about us today? Um, see, again, this Passover foreshadows Jesus' death on the cross for sin. I think the Apostle Paul understood this. No, I don't think. I know the Apostle Paul understood this. Um, he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may have a new lump, as you are really unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He saw Jesus as, a Passover, as the Passover lamb dying on the cross. Just as the people on Friday afternoon were killing their Passover lambs, preparing for the Passover meal on the Sabbath, Jesus was dying on the cross for us as our Passover lamb. This was what was all, this is all pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ. Has Jesus' death for sin on the cross? Now, this Passover here isn't really for sin, it's for deliverance, it's for redemption, it's for becoming a people. Now, in Egypt, Egypt is a picture of the world. Egypt is a picture of slavery, of oppression, of, of the flesh. So he's, God has now taken his people out of this, out of the world, out of slavery, oppression of, in the flesh, and is executing his plan. So here are some applications to that. Our redemption comes by the death of a lamb. The children of Israel here in chapter 12 and following, they have redemption, they have deliverance because a Passover lamb was killed in their household and the blood was applied to the door. A picture of us, of our deliverance, of the death of a lamb. That death of the lamb, of course, is Jesus on the cross. We have deliverance, we have redemption because of the death of a lamb. Second, our atonement... Our at one moment we've heard before is full, final, complete, 
and finished. We see that kind of this way in, in Exodus 12, where the Passover lamb is sufficient for them to leave under the protection of God. The death does not reach their door, does not reach their household. But today, through the blood of Jesus, our atonement, our forgiveness of sin, our union with God through Christ is full. It is final. It is complete. It is finished. Man, I could say a lot more about that. I don't have time. Third, our response is to accept God's grace. Accept what he's done. Now, again, the, the Israelites, and maybe others, I'm not sure about the text, at least the Israelites, as Moses commanded them to do this Passover meal with the Passover lamb and apply the blood to the lentil and to the doorpost, if they had faith in what God said through Moses, they did it. If they didn't have faith, they wouldn't do it. Eh, what's a hooey? Eh, mess my doorpost up. Eh, or whatever. But it's by faith they accepted what God was going to provide for them. Our response, the same thing to the cross of Jesus Christ, is to accept what he has done for us. Jesus has shed his blood. Will we accept what he's done for us? Except by faith, by trust, by, by bowing the knee to him. And we have the, lack of a better term, a blood protection. And death will pass over us. Can I put it that way? Eternal death will pass over us. We will not experience eternal death. So God has promised deliverance. We see in chapter 12, he has given specific instructions. He promised deliverance to us. He gives specific instructions. Trust Jesus when he's on the cross for us. If our sins might be forgiven, we might have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us. The people in chapter 12 responded. They applied the blood, and they were ready to leave. They got their belongings. They were, God said it. We're going to do it when it, when it happens. We need to do the same thing, to, to trust God, to respond to God, to respond to the blood that was shed for us. In the day, God promises deliverance from sin and death in our life, life of our friends. We can come to salvation, come to deliverance through the blood of Jesus. You see, God gave specific instructions to Moses, the children of Israel, and God has given us specific instructions through Jesus and the cross. And our response is to apply what's been given to us, to apply the blood of Jesus and accept by faith and repentance what he did for you. Now, I mentioned earlier that Jesus' last supper of the disciples was a Passover meal. And it's out of that Passover meal, again, that third of four cups is where we have the cup in what we call the Lord's Supper. So would you take your, your cup and, and your wafer? Now, notice if you have this before last time, the wafer's right on top. And then there's the grape juice right here. Just hold it for a second. But again, this, this look at, represents the first Passover in which the, the lamb was slain for the family or families that came together and that blood was applied so the angel would pass over them. But when Jesus had that last supper with the disciples, that Passover meal, he, he said that this, this bread represented his body. They didn't understand that. We understand today that Jesus gave his life, gave his body, put it on the cross for us. He died for us physically, as a body, as a man. It wasn't some ghost up there. It was a real person. He really died. He 
I say he died. He, he was dead, dead. He was really dead. He was dead. And, of course, the grape juice or wine represents his body shed for us. And he is saying this, this blood I'm going to shed to them, and from my perspective, shed for us, represents him dying on the cross. There's, there's life in the blood. And this is redemption. This is my blood's given for you for the new covenants. Let's partake together. Represent Jesus, the Passover lamb, dying for us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And the gospel writer says also after supper, he took the cup. Again, this cup of redemption, Jesus says. The true Passover lamb. He went to the cross and died for our sin. He said, do this in remembrance of me. May we pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this Passover event, this beginning of the nation of Israel, as we see in a little while, the becoming your chosen people. And your chosen people produces the Messiah for the Jews, who is really the Messiah for the whole world, who is our Messiah, us Gentiles. And we praise you for that. We thank you, Father, for this picture through the Passover lamb of the real Passover lamb, Jesus on the cross for us, dying for us. I have our sins forgiven, have a relationship with you, to be filled with your spirit, to be with you forever. We love you. We thank you for being our true Passover. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.